Well, amen. Just want to let you know this morning, uh, something happened at some point, and the heater in the water was off. So those folks who just got baptized, got baptized in some ice cold water. So praise God for their faith in Christ. <laughs> so just so you know, if there was a little bit of uh, angst in the midst of that, what you noticed was they were freezing, as was I. So anyway, uh, amen and amen. Uh, good always to hear uh, the testimonies of God's people and how he saves and redeems people. Some who were brought up in church, some who had just recently come to church. I love uh, every time getting to hear how God saves people, the diversity of how he does it, but then the unity and how it's basically the same story again and again and again. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. My father used to tell me we'd have these, uh, what he would call daddy talks growing up. And one of the things he told me uh, regularly as a child was he would say to me, son, your reputation walks way out in front of you. He would just regularly tell me, your reputation walks way out in front of you. And what he meant by that was the, the action you're choosing to make among people today will determine what plenty of people think about you tomorrow. That how you live now, the decisions you make now, the lifestyle you live now will go in front of you and arrive before you do to other people and other relationships. Many people would say it like, your reputation precedes you. It would be a more common way to say that. But he would just say regularly, your reputation walks way out in front of you. Now a name, a reputation, a name is more than just consonants and vowels arranged in a particular order to pronounce a particular sound that refers to an individual. A name, though, no, is, uh, is, is a, a person, represents a, a personality, represents uh, a person located in time and space, a history of interpersonal relationships and actions. If you say the name Rachel Darst, my heart is flooded with all kinds of emotions and thoughts and memories about my relationship with my bride, when it began and the stories we've had together. The name Rachel Darst is not merely just letters put together that mean nothing. No, no, they represent one whom I love. We named our children. And when we named our children, we had to think about their first and their middle name and the meaning that those names would have and the hopes and dreams and how we would hope that these names particularly would typify and set the trajectory of their lives. Names are important. I wonder this morning, what is the reputation your name has, say, to other people? What is your reputation, the reputation of your name? As it walks out in front of you, I wonder what it's telling other people about you. I wonder how your reputation, your name has changed over the years. I wonder how to be different in the future. Even as we've heard testimonies this morning, I once was a particular way. God acted and responded, and now I'm someone different. And so names and reputations aren't permanent, but God can transform and redirect them. Again, I wonder what your reputation is. However, this morning, primarily what I want to talk to you about is the name and reputation of another, namely the name and reputation of God himself, and even how our name and reputation connects to his name and reputation. In many ways, the entire Bible is a revelation of God's name and reputation. And what I mean by that is his person, his character, his being, his essence, his worthiness. So in some ways, I could just read to you the whole Bible and tell you the name and uh, reputation of God. Now, I assume you guys don't want me to do that this morning. So we're not going to do that. But that's what the Bible is. It's a revelation of who God is and the person and work of His Son is the climax of who He is in His revelation. But we can see, and so what I want to do just briefly before we even get into the third commandment is just give a quick kind of 
uh, a surface survey of some of the things we learn about the name, the reputation of God. If, if God's name, his reputation goes out in front of him, what does it say about him? What do we read when we come to the scriptures? Just a few observations. First, God's name is worthy of all worship. God's name is worthy of all worship. Psalm 8.1. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 29.2. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 66.2 says, because God is holy and his name is worthy, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. We've just sang together, Christ be magnified. Saying and uniting were creation suddenly articulate. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Were the whole earth echoing his eminence, his name would burst forth from sea and sky, from rivers to mountaintops. We'd hear Christ be magnified. His name is worthy of all worship. The name of God reveals God's protecting love for his people. Psalm 20 verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of your trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to him and is safe. So God's name is a protection of his beloved. Number three, God's name reveals God's blessing on his people. God's name reveals his blessing on his people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God's name rests upon his people even when they're among his enemies. Deuteronomy 28 verse 10. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. This reminds me of that funny scene in The Lion King. I don't know if you remember, but the hyenas are together. They're having a conversation. One of them says Mufasa, and they say, man, there's just something about that name. And so they kind of shudder. So Mufasa, say it again. And they shudder. Like there's something about his name being spoken where his enemies in, in, this, in this silly moment with these uh, hyenas, they respond like when that name is said, there's power associated with that that leads me to be afraid. This is true of the name of God. Number four, God's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, number five, God's name guarantees open ears to the prayers of his people. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and hear uh, and forgive their sin and heal their land. God's name is glorified, exalted because of his mercy to his people. Daniel chapter 9, verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. God's name is glorified in the salvation of his people. So God saved you for his glory. Psalm 106.8, yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. Ezekiel 20, verse 9, but I acted for the sake of my name, 
that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. 1 Samuel 12, 21, Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they're empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. So we see the power in His name. But here's one interesting thing about God that is different. So again, your name, your reputation walks way out in front of you. God's name and reputation is revealed in Scripture. The difference between God and us is God names Himself. We name our children, we have authority over them. No one has authority over God. So he must reveal his name. There's no one over him to tell him, this is your name, this will be your future. He is who he is. Even as we study through the book of Exodus, do you remember Exodus chapter 3, when God revealed himself to Moses? And we read, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. No one names him. He reveals himself. He unveils his name and his reputation through his character and his actions. And when he says, I am who I am, he's like, I'm the eternal, uh, totally sovereign, all-sufficient, self-existent one. I don't need to define myself regarding and relating to anyone else. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He's the only one who has that kind of name. He is the Lord of all. And throughout Scripture, we see him. Yahweh, I am who I am, the, the Lord, the Lordship. Elohim, the creative power. El Shaddai, his might. El Elyon, his transcendence. Uh, Yahweh Saboeth, his lordship over the armies of heaven. And so understand in this moment, when we come to the third commandment talking about his name, let's understand who and what we're talking about. There's only one name that has this name. It's the name of the God who's revealed himself. And remember, he's rescued his people from bondage in Egypt. He set them free, and he opened up, even the Ten Commandments, these ten words, he opened up in chapter 20, verse 2, said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, I am who I am, your God, Elohim. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And so we're now at the third commandment. No other gods before me worship the right God. Do not make any idols. Don't worship the right God in the wrong way. So you, can, you must worship the right God, the one true God. You must worship the right God the right way. And now coming to the third commandment is going to be about how you speak about that God. How you take the name of that one upon your lips and how you speak and proclaim and represent who he is. And so the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Here's the main point for you this morning. Do not misrepresent God's name, but rather magnify it in word and deed through Christ. Do not misrepresent God's name, but rather magnify it in word and deed through Christ. Let me pray. We'll jump in to talk about the name of the Lord. Father, we pray in the name of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Help us. See how we've misrepresented you. See how we are not guiltless. Help us see Jesus and how he's upheld and glorified your great name by becoming, uh, uh, by the Son of God, becoming man and living among us and dying for us and raising for us. 
Send your spirit to conform us to the image that we might magnify your great name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to the third commandment, just a few questions we want to think about. Number one, what is forbidden? What is forbidden? Because often you come to, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Usually you're just going to assume, oh, I can't say curse words attached to God's name. And you're just going to assume this reduces kind of the third commandment to don't say bad words attached to Christ. Now, you ought not do that. That's one of the implications, but that's clearly not, it's not merely talking about that even in this commandment. No, notice that Exodus 20 verse 7 does not say do not speak his name in vain. What does it say? It says do not take his name in vain. This word take, is the verb is translated, it means to take up or to lift up or to raise or to bear or to carry. So do not bear his name in vain. Do not carry his name in vain. Do not lift up his name in vain. So this is about much more than just what you're saying. It is about that, but it's about much more than just that. In other words, it's, there's a, the, the, the command here is do not bear false witness or misrepresent the name. The CSB translates it well saying do not misuse this name. It's not merely a command to avoid saying his name like some strict sects of Jewish belief and practices. No, no. It's a command not to misrepresent this name. If you're going to speak about Yahweh, the one true God, you better speak about him rightly. If you're going to be those who he set free from bondage into new life, you ought to represent him faithfully. You ought to take up and exalt and raise this name correctly. This commandment's about how you bear witness to who God is. And the word vain just means empty or, or meaningless or nothing or, or worthless, inconsequential. So the command says you better not lift up the name of God in a way that makes it look like he's not a big deal. You better not use this name, Yahweh, and act like it's inconsequential that you know him and you represent him and you bear his name. It's a command against misrepresenting God. If God's reputation walks way out in front of him, though he's all places at all times, so the metaphor falls through a little there. But if his reputation goes forward in creation, in redemption, through his people, this is a command about not lying or mis misrepresenting his reputation. One commentator says, whereas the second commandment prohibits visual representations of God, the third focuses on verbal representations. As a sign of their respect for God, the people were to exercise the greatest caution when talking about him or invoking his name. They were to say nothing which might detract from a true appreciation of his nature and character. I wonder if you've ever had someone lie about you or misrepresent you. It's a painful and difficult thing. So there's one time I was in this discussion and uh, I don't want to get into many of the details, but someone misrepresented what me and a few of my friends were talking about when speaking about complex things about God in a broken world. Suddenly I'm getting text messages from friends saying, hey, have you seen Twitter? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And they're like, they're destroying you. I'm like, what is happening right now? And then I read the post and I'm like, that's one, that's not what I said. Two, it's clearly not what I meant. That's not what I believe. Nothing in my life would say yes to that. And yet this is what someone is saying. Have you ever been misrepresented? Somebody speaking on your behalf lie about you. Misrepresent your beliefs or your, your actions, your character, your reputation in such a way that damages you. There's at least five ways we do that to the name of God. There's so many ways, but I just want to point out at least five ways you misrepresent the name of God. Clearly, number one is blaspheming his name. <laughs> So you can blaspheme. So in the Old Testament, when the law is given, clearly we're talking about blasphemy. Leviticus 24, 16. And notice the weightiness. How serious it is to misrepresent God's name with blasphemy. Leviticus 24, 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. 
So blasphemy, what was blasphemy? It's to repudiate his authority and reject his law. To say, you might say that Yahweh's the one true God. I don't say it. I repudiate him. I reject him. I'm done with him. I don't acknowledge him. I will not submit to him. He is not sovereign. This is blasphemy. One who has claimed and believed and then rejected and repudiated God as the one true God. Now this was civil law in Israel, so clearly today we're not stoning people for blasphemy. But what do we do in the local church when someone says, no, no, I claim to follow Christ, and then I reject Him as sovereign King and Lord. We excommunicate them. We kick them out of the community. So we can't, you can't have the Lord's Supper. You can't have the, the privileges of church membership. Why? Because you blaspheme against the name of God. You reject who He is. You say that to that name, I don't care what you say your name is, I reject you. This is one way to misrepresent the name of God. Another way is to use His name for false oaths or swearing. So again, not swearing like curse words, not profane language, but swearing like making an oath. So clearly, again, in, in Old Testament times, this was uh, one of the things that's being represented. Leviticus 18.12 You should not swear by, name, by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. Now by the time the Lord Jesus was walking around on earth, these oaths, these kind of ways to, to make promises. There were all kinds. People were swearing by heaven. People were swearing by earth. They're swearing by God. There, there's all kinds of oaths. It's like, hey, if you're going to make this oath, swear by that. If you're going to make this oath, you swear by that. And then the Lord Jesus shows up in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, again, you've heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now again, there's other places where, again, in court, in, in civil conversation, we put our hand on the Bible. I don't think the Bible's condemning that. What Jesus is saying, you know, going on in your cultural moment, what you're doing, you've got all these different oaths. You know why you have to make all those oaths? Because nobody trusts your word. So if you're always like, hey, no, no, seriously, seriously, seriously. <laughs> no, 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 on God, on God, on God. <clears throat> no, 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 I promise, I promise, for real, for real. If you're saying that, that tells me normally I can't trust you. And Jesus is saying this is the way you violate the third commandment. Because God is not like only present when you show up and say, no, I'm serious, I promise. He heard when you didn't say that. And you're either a liar or a truth teller, one or the other, at all times. So he says, if you suddenly you're making these oaths, you're demonstrating your word is not trustworthy anyway. She says, no, no, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Why? Because you belong to me. We always tell the truth. We don't lie. <laughs> like, so he's, he's demonstrating, no, no, when you lie, you're, you're misrepresenting my name. When you demonstrate that you need these extra oaths to get people to trust you, you reveal a problem to begin with. Thirdly, attaching his name to fake ministry. <clears throat> attaching his name to fake ministry. Now, here's the interesting thing. The foolishness of fake ministry is similar to the foolishness of false oaths. Because again, God is always present to hear, the, and he sees the lies. So it's like when people misrepresent him, he's standing right there like, I didn't say that. <laughs> like you're lying to them about me. And this is one of the great problems we find even in our day, but also even in the scriptures. God hates, hates false prophets. He hates those who misrepresent his word to uh, people, to, who misrepresent what he said and what he's doing. Jeremiah 23. Notice how God connects this. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? 
Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? So God says, mm -mm. you want to prof like this is what it looks like to profane my name, to have fake ministry representing my word and telling lies, talking about this is what God told me, but it contradicts the scripture. He said, no, this is a problem. This is a way to profane the name of the Lord. This is how to break the third commandment. This means false teachers and preachers that peddle God's word for profit and platforms and money are guilty of breaking the third commandment while they're teaching the Bible. So they can literally be saying, this is what God says, but if they're trying just to get platform or power or money, they're literally breaking the third commandment while they're doing it. Fake ministry. Now, not just false prophets, though. Jesus says, anybody can claim to walk with God and do powerful things for God and to speak on behalf and think and assume they're doing things for God, but have fake ministry. Some of Jesus' most terrifying words happened in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Many will say to me on that day, that day being judgment day. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I would declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you workers of lawlessness. So it's possible to do ministry in such a way that breaks the third commandment. If it's false ministry. Now, one thing I just want to warn, let me give a pastoral warning. Now, this is not, I'm not saying necessarily it's always one and the same, but let me give a pastoral warning. If you've heard a pastor say, or a friend say, God told me, immediately you need to be concerned. Because if you say God told me and he really told you, I have to obey it like I have to obey Bible. But what if you misheard? Like, now, the Holy Spirit does guide us and lead us subjectively, and we ought to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I believe that's true. We must do that. But we need to be very, very careful and, and understand when we're communicating the difference between the authoritative Word of God and what we think God might perhaps be leading us to do. Those are two different conversations. And so if somebody comes and says, God told me, okay, like what verse was that he told you that? <laughs> like, give me the text and amen. Now, how do we do this better, more pastorally and more carefully? No, no. I believe the God, that God is leading me to X, Y, Z. I think that it would be wise for us, according to my study of the Scripture, when I believe the Spirit's leading us to do Okay, great. No problem. The Spirit does lead us subjectively. He really does lead and guide and direct us into truth. His Word is truth. He, he really does this. But we need to be careful that we're not just rubber stamping God told me and then therefore no one can disagree with you. Again, what if you misheard? Like, what if you have indigestion? <laughs> like, you thought it was the Spirit. It's something you ate. <laughs> And my point, I'm having, my point is that you're not infallible. The word is. You might have made an error. The word doesn't. So when we're having these conversations, we need to be careful that we're not misrepresenting God by saying God told me if God is sitting there like, no, I didn't. So we need to be careful how we have these conversations and represent and point to what God has told us. We need to acknowledge the subjective nature of the conversation that we might be making an error, but we need to leave and say, this is what I believe the Lord is leading me to say or to encourage you to do. I could be wrong, but this is what I believe. Fourth way you can misuse, misrepresent God's name is not only using his name in fake ministry, but using his name in fake worship. Fake worship. The Lord Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be seen or praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Or prayer, Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. Why, Jesus? That they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not empty up empty phrases or vain phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glory be to your name. Exalted be to you. I don't want to empty your name. I want to exalt your name. So don't go pray trying to get other people to praise you. Don't go give to the poor so that other people praise you. Otherwise, you're, you're literally not doing it to God. You're doing it for the praise of man. And the whole thing is phony. It's false worship. He says the same in Matthew 6 about fasting. So again, this is a warning for us. It's possible to sing songs of worship without believing what you're saying and be guilty of breaking the third commandment while you're doing it. It's possible to have hypocritical, fake religious practice without thinking about the God whom you say you believe in and actually be breaking the third commandment as you do it. If you're doing anything for human applause, not for the exaltation of God in Christ, you'd be breaking the very third commandment. And fifthly, and Lord help us, I've been very convicted about some of this this week, using God's name flippantly. Using His name flippantly. Now, obviously, this would again, again include using God's name as a curse word or as profane language, but also just using His name as an exclamation point. Texting an OMG. Like using it to, to give some kind of cultural expression, using His name to do something else. Using His name as empty humor. This is one I feel so convicted about. Somebody saying something, oh, praise God. If I say that and don't actually mean praise the God of the, the Scriptures who's revealed Himself to me in Christ, I'm just using His name flippantly. I'm not even taking Him serious as I'm using His very name. Would you use your mom's name that way? Well, your children or your spouse. Anyone whom you genuinely love, would you use their name to, to make an exclamation point? Anyone you actually love and care for, why then will we use the holy name of the Almighty Creator and Redeemer like that? It shouldn't be a stretch to assume we would treat the name above all names unlike any other name. Not use it in ways we wouldn't use anybody else's name. Now, non-Christian friends who might be here, can I just ask you a question real quick? Do you not see this as an apologetic for God? Like, think about it. The only person we use their name as a curse word is God. Which gives evidence that He exists. Like, why would an atheist curse a God they do not believe exists? Unless they were made in His image. And were suppressing the truth about the one who made them in His image. They wouldn't acknowledge one they don't think actually exists. So again, notice the inconsistency. God Himself exists. And the reason, one of the apologetic reasons we see His existence is that people curse His name even if they say He don't exist. Non-Christian, again, could it be that Romans 1 is true? That human beings really are made in the image of God and they suppress that truth. But even in suppressing that truth, they curse his name 
because they know he's there. Blasphemy, false oaths, fake ministry, fake worship, flippant language. And y'all, I think that's just scratching the surface of how we can break the third commandment. If you do not exalt him in the way you ought to, with language that he's worthy of, you've broken the third commandment. And notice the second part of the commandment. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The difficult news this morning is you've misrepresented the name of God this week, probably today. I've misrepresented the name of God this week today. We've all walked out in front of his reputation and lied about him. Surely nobody in the room is guiltless in this matter. And the command says we'll be held accountable. So then that just leaves us this morning before we wrap up. Oh, like, okay, where is help and hope? So if we're all guilty of breaking the third commandment, like, hey, white flag, okay, got me. (laughs) Like, I surrender, you got me, where do I turn for hope? How did Christ fulfill and transform the third commandment? The Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry comes to the end of his earthly ministry. And we have in John 17, the high priestly prayer. It's this intimate moment where he's in secret praying to his father. Don't go, like, again, public prayers are fine. He's not condemning all public prayers. He's condemning public prayers that you're doing it for show. But in this moment, John 17, we get into the prayer closet with Jesus. And we find out what's he praying to his father. How, did he keep the third commandment? Did he exalt the name of Yahweh? Did he exalt his father's name in his incarnation that was truly God and truly man? Did he perfectly exalt the name of God? Listen to the prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. Listen, this is lordship language. So he says, glorify your son that he might glorify you since you've given him all authority. I have all authority because I'm God in the flesh. Verse 3, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God. That you would reveal yourself and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And then notice what he says he's done. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So what does Jesus say in the prayer closet? Father, I glorified you having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I did not break the third commandment. I didn't use your name like it was nothing and flippant. I glorified it perfectly. I did everything I was called to do. I honored you in every single thing that I've done. And I've revealed you to sinners who have broken the third commandment. And notice what he said. And they have kept your word. Christ kept the word. And then he says, I accomplished the work by keeping the word on behalf of sinners who have not lifted up the name of God as they ought to in Christ. That he lived a life of honoring and exalting the Father perfectly his entire life. And then he died on Calvary's cross for all the times you used the Lord's name flippantly. That you emptied it of its meaning. That you talked about God like he was a nobody, a nothing. That you lied about his reputation and character. Jesus had no other gods. He kept the first commandment. He didn't make any idols. He kept the second commandment. And he did not misrepresent his Father's name. In fact, he perfectly glorified it. The third commandment. And he did this in place of guilty sinners who would look to him in faith. Salvation now is found where? In his name. In the name of Christ, the one who upheld the name of God perfectly. Salvation is found for sinners who have not done that. Salvation is found in his name. John lets you know in John chapter 20, all these signs, everything I've recorded, everything that's been written about Jesus was to let you know 
who he is, and that in hearing you might believe and have life in his name. Luke chapter 24 says forgiveness is found where? In his name. Jesus with his disciples opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. What do you, what do you, what I feel guilty. I know I've broken the law. I know there's blood on my hands. I've profaned the name of God. Cleansing and transformation is found in his name. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Even thinking about Daniel's testimony, you don't understand where I've been and the kind of sinner that I am. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Even baptism. Jesus gives the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Baptism is a name changer. <laughs> like baptism is letting know this is who you were, dead and buried. This is who you are in Christ. Washed, cleansed, forgiven, new name, the name of Christ stamped upon you. So you can say, in Christ, I keep the third commandment. In Christ, I am made new. In Christ, that's who I am. What a, what, what a glorious reality baptism symbolizes and shows, in us, shows us. That we went from in Adam to in Christ. Dead in Adam to raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. And friends, it's this name that in the end, Every single knee will bow and confess that Jesus is the name above all names. That he is the king, Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Non-Christian friend, repent and believe today. Repent and bow the knee in joy. And say, King Jesus, I have profaned your name. I have not represented it as, as I ought to have. I do deserve death. But I believe your son lived for me, died for me, rose for me, will return for me. He is the king. He is the one who's upheld the law. He's done it all. It's finished. I trust in him and him alone. At that knee, bow the knee even. Or at that name, bow the knee even today. And then Christians. This is our mission. We proclaim the name. In word and deed. This is the name we proclaim. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? That we might proclaim his excellencies. Our mission is to declare there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved other than the name of Christ, Acts 4.12. How are they going to hear unless they believe? We, like they've got to hear this name. Anyone who believes in, and trusts in this name will be saved, Romans chapter 10. Acts chapter 9. The apostle Paul gets converted and called. Jesus on the road to Damascus confronts him. But, but God has this interaction with Ananias, and he says in, in chapter 9, verse 15, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And indeed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, our mission is to proclaim his name, not ours. 
Not to us, not to us be the glory, but to your name, oh God. We proclaim his name, not ours. We tell people, look to Christ, not look to us. Look to Christ with us as we look to him. This is our mission. We declare the good news of the gospel. But we also must display it in our actions. We live quorum Deo before the face of God, understanding God is always present with us, always. He's there. And so we live in such a way that when we have another week like this with another school shooting, another, another uh, unjust police killing, and, and now the world is divided, and now the world is tearing up, and everybody's going at each other's throat, we're now, this is the moment we can say, as the people of God, we have hope, we have help, we have peace in Christ. We can demonstrate there is one who can save sinners like us. We don't tell people he can save sinners like them. We said, no, no, there, there is one who can save sinners like us. In this broken world, we don't understand and people can disagree and argue and fight. We have hope, we have help, we have a future that we know is assured to us in Christ. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. So again, the main point, do not misrepresent his name. Rather, magnify it in word and in deed, by grace, through faith, in Christ, by the power of the Spirit. With your lips and your life, do not misrepresent God. Represent Him well. I conclude by telling you that uh, me and my family, my children particularly, we've got a little saying, a little uh, slogan that we say regularly. Darst family for life. So with the boys, I'll go to bed at night. And I'll count one, two, three, and they'll pound their chest and say, Darst dudes for life. They'll clarify just a little bit. And I'll have a conversation with my daughter as well as she goes to bed. Why? Because I want them to know you're a Darst for life. No matter how you live, you'll never get away from my love. That last name is that last name. Now, my daughter will probably get married one day. So, again, we, we clarify it and we say it. But what she understands, even in how we say and talk about that, is she belongs to me. She has my love forever because she belongs to me. And that when they leave and go out of our house, they represent the Dars family. Wherever they are, whenever they are, they're not just representing themselves, but the whole Dars family, Dars family for life. In Christ, in baptism, what we're saying is Christ for life. Jesus Christ for life. That's my family. So I got to figure things out. If I got conflict, if I got, I got to figure things out because this is my family for life, for eternity. And I want to represent this name well. Let's close in prayer. Father.